Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This podcast is sponsored by Durham Sports. Durham Sports is a crypto project connecting sports and entertainment with cryptocurrency. Durham has sponsored over 80 minor league baseball players to date. Some of them have been on this podcast um, and is now branching out to other sports. Durham Sports aspires to be the cryptocurrency synonymous with sports sponsorship. Not only are they assisting athletes in their profession, they are also providing an opportunity for investment. By purchasing the RBI token on Uniswap, you can invest in their mission of helping athletes around the world. Check them out at DurhamEnu.com and purchase the RBI token today. I am excited for my guest today, one of the founders of More Than Baseball, drafted by the Rays back in 2018 out of Harvard. Some may say the pride of Wisconsin, the pride of Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Simon Rosenblum Larson, how's it going, brother? Good, man. Great to be on. Thank you. Yeah, like I said earlier, like I had no idea you were from Madison, which is incredible. Um, I work... I did the math. I, I looked at it. I worked like three minutes from the school you played at. <laughs> so that's that's incredible that you played here in Madison at West. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm a you know, down-home Wisconsinite at heart. So uh, loved it there. Um, really a good place to grow up and a great place to, you know, learn how to be a ball player in cold weather. So Yeah, you speak of cold weather. I mean, like I'm from the Bay Area, California. So like <laughs> I'm used to like 65 to 70, like not much difference yeah. there. Um, but now I'm here in Wisconsin for about the last six, seven years, and we're still having crappy weather. Just looking outside, it's been gloomy, and I'm like, all right, when are we going to get this warm weather? Because uh, I don't like watching baseball while I'm, like, hearing there might be snow. Like, that shouldn't that – should, <laughs> there shouldn't be that. Yeah, I mean, I grew up – you know, I grew up playing – our high school season started in March every year, and March in Wisconsin is 20 degrees and snowing. So had a lot of snow games, um, definitely – Pitched in the snow in college too, um, but luckily, in professional baseball, I haven't had to do that yet. So. Yeah, and um, I, uh, I, I've had guys from Indiana. You're the first person I've had from Wisconsin, so shout out Wisconsin. Um, and they tell me the same thing: like it's so hard to produce talent. Although Indiana has recently produced a ton of talent when it comes to baseball, um, yeah. and I feel like Wisconsin has maybe not the best reputation for producing we talent. We have a few guys in but, the big leagues right now. Yeah. Um, one of my really good friends, Ben Wurtvet, uh, he and I played together growing up. He's with the Yankees now. I was in that Gary Sanchez trade to Minnesota. Um, Gavin Lux with the Dodgers, mm-hmm. uh, Wisconsin. I had Jared Kalenic. Um, he's yeah. been a Alec top Marsh. prospect for years. Um, Alec Marsh, Jaron yeah. Kendall was mm-hmm. a top prospect a few years ago. I think he's still in, he's in double A. I think he's still playing. Um, so there's, I mean, there's baseball talent in Wisconsin for sure. Uh, and it's taken some time for it to develop, mm-hmm. but really, I mean, there's really good ball players there. It's just a question of, you know, getting recruited, getting seen and mm-hmm. all that stuff. No, for sure. And you talked about those guys you play with. Um, so how was your high school experience? Obviously those guys you just listed, um, all over the, the Wisconsin area, really good guys. Like, was your team good? Like, how was your experience? Um, no, we were not very good in high school. Um, I played every position and hit in the two hole or the three hole. And that says a lot about how our high school team was. Cause I, you know, was never going to play a position in college. Um, we were not very good uh, year in and year out, but we had a couple of good seasons while I was there. Um, never really went anywhere in terms of regionals or sectionals or anything like that, but um, good competition. Uh, there are good players on every team, but 
man, you see some of the high school teams from, you know, I played with kids in college who were from, you know, Harvard Westlake in California and they had, you know, Lucas Giolito and oh, yeah. Jack Flaherty and uh, Max Fried all on the same pitching staff. Like you're never going to find that in Wisconsin. No, um, not at all. But the high level talent is as good as it is anywhere in the country. No, for sure. Um, so speaking of those guys that you mentioned, did you ever face Gavin Lux? Like what, like, or, um, or Kalenic? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't think I faced either of them. They were both a year younger than me. Yeah. Um, Rortvet and I played against each other for years. I played with each other for years. So definitely faced him. Um, yeah, I mean, there's guys. Danny Jansen is a guy who's oh, yeah. in the big leagues right now. the Blue Jays? Um, oh, no. He came through the same summer ball team as I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, You know, I don't know if I've ever faced him. But, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, smatterings of talent. But mm-hmm. it's not like. Uh, you know, you face these guys, you see them around, you play against them in travel ball, but you may not pitch that day. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you can tell, like, uh, Gavin Lux sticks out from the crowd, for sure. So, uh, like, speaking of Gavin Lux, so he was just, like, the dude in Wisconsin then. Like, everyone knew, like, that was the guy who was getting drafted. Um, yeah, I mean, you could see it coming. Um, for sure, you could see it coming. And Kalenic got a lot of a lot of buzz early mm-hmm. on, too. Um, they're just athletic freaks for the state, at least on the baseball side, because a lot of the good athletes will go play football. They're going to play basketball. Um, obviously football is huge in Wisconsin, but, um, yeah, I mean, getting to play with those, play against those guys, see those guys develop. Like, obviously I don't have any direct connection to a lot of these guys. It's like, I'm not friends with them per Mm -hmm. se. Um, but it's, I feel some sort of connection to them or some sort of camaraderie with them just there's not very many of us in pro ball right now. Absolutely. Like you said, there's not a ton of you. So it's, you got that connection. Um, yeah. Wisconsin um, is football. Uh, Indiana is known for base uh, basketball. Um, did you play other sports uh, before you kind of stuck to baseball? I got, yeah, I played, I played a little basketball in high school, but I remember getting dunked on my <laughs> sophomore year, right at the end of my sophomore year of high school. Uh, realized that I wouldn't be able to do that to anybody. And, I didn't really, you know, I realized it just wasn't my sport um, at that point. So I focused on baseball after that. But yeah, growing up, I played all sorts of sports. Never played football, though. Never, never really gave that a shot. So you would say that dunk ended your, your basketball career or your, or your hopes of becoming uh, it was basketball. The, it was the sort of last straw, the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it was like <laughs> I was always the, a scrappy, good rebounder, good defender, but really was not a good offensive player. Not tall enough, not fast enough, not, uh, you know, the super athlete that a lot of the other guys were. And yeah. it, the writing was on the wall from a basketball career, probably from the get-go. But Well, you found a career in baseball. Obviously, you got drafted. We'll jump into that later. Um, so how was the um, high school process and then, like, the recruiting process? Um, obviously, you went to Harvard, um, academic scholarship. Um, so you're, you're a very smart guy. Um, so what was like the recruiting process and were there like big 10 colleges you were interested in at all? Yeah, the recruiting process was interesting. I, uh, started late. I didn't, I wasn't really very good. Uh, my first year of high school, um, pitched a fair amount, pitched on varsity a little bit, um, was up and down between JV and varsity my freshman year, sophomore year had a good season. Um, and one of the local travel ball coaches, um, the bigger program in the area. I had been talking to them for a few years and never really given, gave it a shot. It was expensive. Um, my family was not in a position to, you know, to go play $2,000 travel baseball. Um, but one of the coaches for that program really, I mean, 
took me under his wing, uh, Greg Reinhardt, um, and basically gave me the opportunity to play high-level travel baseball, even though I wasn't going to be able to afford it. Um, so he sort of reached out. He said, look, like, I know it's not financially feasible for you, but here's what we can, we can do this for you. We can put you in a position to succeed. You put up, you know, a smaller amount of money up front. We'll make this happen. And yeah, he put me in a position to be able to play college baseball, frankly. Um, so that spring, I guess it was the spring of my junior high school year. Um, I had my first coach come see me from the university of Cincinnati. Um, that summer I, you know, found a little bit of below. I was, you know, touching 90, thrown in the upper eighties. And I wouldn't say I was like a big time recruit, but I had, you know, here and there, you know, about a dozen division one offers. Um, not really any from big 10 schools, Michigan. I was talking to them for a little while, but that fizzled out. And uh, would your parents have been upset or your family had you gone to like a Michigan or Michigan state just being from Wisconsin or no? Oh, oh not no. at all. No, no, not at all. I mean, my family's not originally from Wisconsin. Oh, okay. They moved there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, there were schools that I was talking to all around the country, but um, I didn't go to college thinking I was going to play professional baseball. Um, that was totally not on my radar. Uh, I wanted to go to a place that I felt like I was going to get a good education. I was going to have a good experience. And um, when Harvard called, frankly, I sort of wrote them off at first. Uh, being a public school kid from Wisconsin, it's not something you see yourself doing. Um, but it was when I went out there for a visit, it was great. Um, the coaching staff was awesome. Um, yeah. And there was some, actually some serendipity to it too. I, my dad and I were, <laughs> we, this will tell you a little bit about my background, but we, instead of, you know, kids go to on these college tours before their, you know, college process, my dad and I took a, we took a mega bus from, we went from Durham. So Duke had recruited me a little bit. So we went from Durham to DC, saw some schools in DC, DC to New York, all on a mega bus, uh, crashing on like family friends couches. Uh, and then New York, we were going to go to Providence to go see Brown and they had recruited me. Um, and we actually missed our bus and we had a family friend invite us to come up to Boston. And I'd been in touch with the coaches at Harvard, but hadn't really scheduled anything there. Um, so we missed the bus, ended up in Boston, um, went over to see the campus, loved it, uh, went back for an official visit in September of my senior year and then committed like 48 hours later. Wow. Okay. Um, so what, what was it that kind of just drew you to Harvard? I mean, was it obviously the academics? Like we know what <laughs> that is. Um, yeah. I did, I don't know a ton about Ivy League, like baseball, like was their team pretty good or... So, I mean, it's division one baseball. Um, it's, they were, they had some good players. Um, the coaches were great, really. I mean, the coaches were, uh, I, when I was getting recruited, like they were, you know, invested clearly, you know, had a lot of thoughts about how they were going to use me and how they were going to develop um, me as a ball player. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say no <laughs> to yeah. a place like Harvard. Um, the opportunities that it's given me even in the last, you know, four or five years of my life have been incredible. Um, and yeah, the fact, I mean, I, it was one of those things that just was not on my radar for a long time. And the fact that it ended up, you know, working out the way it did is pretty unbelievable to me in hindsight. Yeah. I mean, sometimes things just kind of fall into place um, the way, the way they're meant to be. 
um, yeah. when you don't even plan it that way. Yeah. I mean, I feel really lucky. It was, it was an incredible experience for me. Um, and, and yeah, definitely loved my three years there. Yeah. And you mentioned three years you got drafted. Um, so, um, who, who was your guys' biggest rival, like baseball wise when it came to the Ivy league? I mean, it's Yale, yeah. right? Like, you know, there's nothing that Harvard Yale rivalry is real. Um, yeah. I, but also every year, the last series of the year we would play every year, we played the same conference schedule and we'd play Dartmouth the last weekend of the year, every year. Um, so those two, we play Yale uh, sort of earlier on and we play Dartmouth right at the end. And those two were always the most fun series of the year. Um, for sure. Did they ever get a little chippy between the the two teams or no? I, I don't, I don't think so. We had some games with Dartmouth that were like, I mean, we played a game that was like 19 to 17 with like Jeez. 14 home runs or something crazy. And like, it was a 12 inning game and, you know, it, there were tensions that were high for yeah. sure. But uh, no, I wouldn't say that anything really ever got chippy because we just weren't, if we were in contention mm-hmm. for an Ivy League championship when I was there, like late in the season, I think it would have gotten chippier, but we were not very good uh, my three years there. So, well, I mean, we're it, sort of middle of the pack. Okay, that, that, that's fair. Um, so, when did you switch from starting to relief pitching? And, like, how, how did that conversation go? The minute I got drafted, <laughs> I asked, <laughs> I said, Hey, what's your plan for me? And they're like, You're going to be in the bullpen. Uh, so, from then on, it, it's just been a, you know, I've been in the bullpen ever since. So in, in college, were you mostly a starter then? I never pitched out of the bullpen. Well, I guess I pitched out of the bullpen my freshman year of college. But <clears throat> beyond that, I never, I started every game after that. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the Northwoods Leagues. Obviously, you're from Madison. Um, you play for the Mallards, which is a like your backyard. How was that experience pitching for them in 16 and 17, uh, playing for a team like um, like your hometown team, although obviously it's not major league, but it's still really cool to come back and be like that hometown kid playing here. Yeah, no, I loved it. Uh, every minute it was like kind of surreal to me cause I grew up watching those games. Um, and it was my first time getting to pitch in front of a packed stadium, right? They get, I mean, they draw oh, yeah. 8,000 fans pretty regularly. Um, so, you know, throwing a Friday night game at the duck pond, uh, was, really a cool experience i loved it um was pitching well that summer um so yeah can't ask for a whole lot more you're pitching in your hometown in front of a ton of fans uh and yeah you're you're getting to you know play baseball in a place that you love so yeah and you pitch well like you said one 1.54 era in 50 about 53 innings um yeah that'll yeah. work <laughs> um that kind of propelled your career oh i guess you also pitched summer league um and like in DC, right? Or whatever the year. Yeah, so I pitched the year before, but that that was more of a developmental. Okay. I went to the Northwoods really thinking that I could show something. Mm-hmm. Um, I put a lot of it together uh, towards the end of my sophomore season in college. I had a couple of good starts to end the year, and I really felt confident going into the summer. Um, so, yeah, I went to Madison, uh, pitched my butt off there, went to the All-Star game, went to the – they had a big league showcase there with a bunch of major league scouts. Got to pitch there, was throwing well. Um and was able to carry that success into my junior year. A uh, number of teams came and watched me throw, but frankly, around the draft um, and really the months leading up to the draft, I heard from three teams. Hmm. Um, I heard from the what were then the Indians, uh, the I don't even the Rockies, and like 
it, it was just, you know, I didn't expect anything to happen in the draft. I was sort of cautiously optimistic, but uh, did not hear from the Rays a single time that whole uh, that whole draft process. So. so you didn't have a big draft party, you're saying? No, my so actually I was uh, I knew I wasn't going to get drafted the first day of yeah. the draft or the second day probably. Um, I was you know hopeful but not counting on anything. Um, the third day of the draft, I was like, well, uh, you know, I I was at that time my dad was living in New York City uh, and. <laughs> He had a, he was renting a room from, uh, you know, some folks in Brooklyn. So he had one room and I was sleeping on the floor of his room. So it was, I, he was on the bed. I was on the floor for the week leading up to the draft. And, you know, we were talking about it a little bit and, and it was like, yeah, it could happen. If it happens, that'd be awesome. But um, I was signed to go play in the Cape that summer. I was pretty, you know, uh, it was in a good place, but. Um, I went out to lunch with my aunt and uncle. They invited me out because they were like, oh, it's draft time. Like, even if you don't get drafted, it's let's just, you know, take him out to lunch. Uh, and in that, I was sort of <laughs> distracted at this lunch. But my one of my best friends in college, Noah Zavalas, who's with the Brewers now. Yeah. Um, I saw a I was keeping an eye on the draft tracker and he gets drafted uh, in the 18th round. And so, you know, I'm I'm psyched for him. I'm texting him. I'm like whatever and then my phone starts ringing like two minutes after i send the message um and yeah i was right we were right by central park so i i answer the phone uh the rays called me saying you know congratulations you're a tampa bay ray and i just like i went for a walk in central park yeah and, like had to sort of reflect check myself <laughs> to think it was I, I couldn't believe it was real but yeah that was a my draft story and i think you know Every minor leaguer I'm sure mm -hmm. you've talked to has oh, yeah. their own story of it. But yeah, I'll never forget that moment. I just sat down on a rock in Central Park and was like, this is real. This is happening. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of guys um, who've been drafted. Um, it's funny, though, like a majority of them do other things. A lot of them don't have draft parties because, I mean, unless, unless you know you're going high, yeah. like it's, it's kind of almost because it's you, you don't want that like letdown of like. Sorry, guys, come back tomorrow kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah. But that, uh, no. night, that night, we got some family together in the city. There's a place called Foley's in New York City that I think is closed, but it's this awesome, awesome, awesome baseball bar. It's like a totally dedicated baseball fan. Uh, memorabilia all over the place. And I'm, I think it closed down, which is a, a huge loss for the city of New York. But um, we got together there with, you know, a dozen or so family friends who were in the city and celebrated that night. So. Yeah, and you got drafted by the the Rays, who obviously develop talent. They have the pitching specifically. Um, Evan uh, Reefer, I don't know if you know, I'm, I'm sure he pitches. I think he's in double A with you. Yeah, um, Evan and, and I got to know each other in spring training. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So he was with the Brewers, traded to the Rays. Um, I texted him as soon as that happened. Like, you know what? Like, that's a good move for you because, like, if the Rays are trading for you, they're seeing something in you. Um, and he throws pretty hard. He's a, he's a really good pitcher. I think he'll do well there. Um, but like they said, they have a really good eye for pitching. So just being able to get traded to the or signed to the Rays or drafted by the Rays um, was that was that kind of in your back of your mind, knowing that like they have a ton of good pitching, um, and I mean they have some hard throwers, but they also have some kind of like funky, um, not so hard throwers, and they they do a really good job of like utilizing their bullpen, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, knew the reputation of the Rays. Um, when you're in the draft process, you don't have a choice where you're going to go. Um, so, 
for me, like I couldn't get attached to one organization or another. I was just grateful that they got picked, that I got picked. But um, yeah, I was excited when it was the raise and I've had a, you know, really good experience with the organization's player development. Um, you know, I, I can't say a bad thing about the way they develop pitchers in the raise organization. Um, I've said lots of things about the system of minor league baseball. Oh, times. absolutely. And we'll get into um, that. <laughs> but the way the Rays, in terms of their their player development and the coaching staff that they have is like, I've never had better coaches in my life. Um, and they're, they really do like take seriously the fact that if you have good people, you're going to develop good players mm -hmm. and they bring in a lot of good people and you can see the results. Yeah. Unfortunately, how cool would that have been if the Brewers had drafted you though? Like, <laughs> yeah I, I mean i've thought about it it would be really cool i uh, would have loved to be a milwaukee brewer but um i you know i don't hindsight never gonna never gonna even think yeah. about that no it's, of course it's kind of move know. forward um i'm assuming you were a big so brewer fan though, right? get picked and so excited to start my career it couldn't have mattered less to me no absolutely and that that's exactly the mindset to have uh but you i'm assuming you were a big brewers fan or unless you were a cubs fan i grew up a cubs fan oh actually. boy <laughs> my dad is my dad is from chicago originally so got you all right well i won't hold it against you i grew up an a's fan i've kind of um the, the brewers are my national league team i don't, yeah. I don't even want to talk about oakland and their and what they do with their minor league because i'm sure you saw the picture yeah. that was kind of traveling around yeah. the internet with the bag of sandwich whatever like. i know all of that yeah <laughs> um but uh so talking about your time in with the rays um uh, you're obviously now a reliever um what are some adjustments that you maybe made going from college to now the pros? It was a pretty natural transition, I think. Um, the biggest thing is the length of the season. Um, you can't prepare for that. Um, my first full season in 19 was a wake-up call for sure. Um, how to take care of your body, how to you know be in a position to succeed. And I've had some nagging injuries since then. And like, I clearly, like it's that's been a challenge for sure that I need to overcome. Um, but the style of baseball is just a lot cleaner in professional baseball. Um, hitters are, have a better approach. They are more aggressive in a lot of ways uh, than college hitters. College hitters, at least in the Northeast, are patient, uh, you know, lengthen, lengthy plate appearances. Well, the first thing I noticed in pro ball is that hitters will punish you if you make a mistake, but you can also, like, toy with hitters in professional baseball a little bit better than you can in, in um, college because every professional hitter comes into an about with a plan. Um, and if you do something that throws them off their plan, uh, you can actually get an advantage. Whereas in college, a lot of hitters are just trying to see the ball and hit it. Yeah. Though um, so the approaches are definitely different in pro ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, for the most part, I think, Playing in the Northwoods is a good preparation for what pro ball is like um, in terms of wood bats, you know, quality gameplay. Um, so I don't, yeah, I wouldn't say there was a crazy transition. I mean, obviously moving to the bullpen is a, is a different beast, but it's something that was pretty natural for me. Um, felt really comfortable out of the bullpen from the get-go. Um, moving to the bullpen, like, do you start your like preparation differently? Because obviously you don't know when you're going to go into the game versus a starter. You have that like, rigid like you're going every fifth uh, fifth day yeah i mean it, it was it was uh a transition and you figure out the things that work but mm -hmm. really it, it was a natural one for me i felt like 
you know, the adrenaline you get in the bullpen is way different than you get as a starter. Um, it is so fun. Nothing is more fun in baseball. Starting a game is great. Nothing mm-hmm. is more fun in baseball than closing. Um, to shut the door with a, you know, a one run lead in the ninth inning is way more fun than anything a starter ever gets to do. So, except maybe throw a complete game, but yeah, yeah I, I loved the move to the bullpen. Um, and I've loved it really without looking back since then. That's fair. So let's talk about the minor leagues. Um, did anything prepare you? We hear the stories. I've talked to guys for division one, you know, they're flying nice plane rides, nice hotels, perfect accommodations. And then they're right in the minor leagues where it's like, they're, it's just the complete opposite. Like what was your first initial reaction to, um, that minor league life? The story I always tell, uh, my first day in pro ball, actually my first professional outing in pro ball, I pitched, uh, I guess it was my first outing at home in pro ball because we were on the road for my first ever appearance, but back at home, um, I pitch, um, it's like, you know, it's really fun. I'm having a great time. I'm on a professional mound. It's like one of the greatest moments of my life. I go home, I'm sleeping in an eight by 12 room with two beds in it. Uh, the bed on the right is a, a teammate of mine who had played there the year before. So he got the bed. I got the cot, which was, it was a metal spring loaded cot uh, that was not even a twin bed size. It was smaller than a twin mm-hmm. bed. Um, and in the middle of the night, at first I've been waking I've been woken up by my roommate snoring. But the second time I woke up, the bed had collapsed onto the floor. So I'm sleeping on a collapsed cot on the floor. Uh, and just, I mean, like the sort of dichotomy of you pitch, you're pitching under the lights in front of fans, you're a professional athlete, mm-hmm. you go home, you're sleeping on a cot that collapses in the middle of the night on the floor. It's like you almost couldn't write a better, yeah. uh, you know, first impression of baseball. Obviously, the baseball part of professional baseball is incredible. I wouldn't trade these experiences for anything in the world. The life of a professional baseball player is exhausting. It is draining. It's economically not even really viable as a job. Um, You know, you watch guys. I mean, that was the first time in my career that I've watched as players, like, they're struggling to figure out how they're going to pay their monthly cell phone bill. Like, they're struggling to figure out. There's players who you were expected to send money to their families every month. So they're budgeting, you know, our first paychecks that year were $550 for two weeks of work. They're budgeting, and that's, you lose taxes. So it was about 470 and then you pay clubhouse dues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, you're looking at like maybe $410 to last you two weeks. Um, you think about Latin guys too, money. who who give so much of their money back to their families in, that's in what I'm Latin saying. American so, countries. So players are sending money home to their families. And you're looking at guys who are living on like, like 15 bucks, 20 bucks a day. Uh, that includes bills. That includes rent for a lot of players. That includes gas money. That includes everything a real adult human being pays for um, on a salary. That's like, we're at the ballpark 60 plus hours a week travel on top of that, like 70 hours a week. And we're making at that point we were making, you know, 250 a week. Now we're making more than that. I'm making, uh, you know, much, much higher salary than that. I'm making, you know, right now I'm, I'm on the double A roster making 600 a week, um, which is far more livable 
but at the same time, I'm 25 years old and have a lot more life expenses than I did when I was 21. Um, and so even, you know, my $600 a week salary doesn't go as far as I want it to. And it's $600 a week for half the year still only makes me a little over $12,000. Yeah, no, it's insane. Like the, the, just to think about how much how and you like what you're saying, you go from the lights to now you're on a cot that breaks. Um, you could barely afford this. And I've, I've talked to guys who have told me that they've had friends or teammates who say, look, I want to keep playing, but I can't because I literally can't afford to, uh, to play. Uh, I can't afford to have, to be a husband, to be a father and a baseball player all while under this salary, you know, of below poverty level. And it's, it's really like, like sad to hear these individual stories because sometimes we don't really think about, uh, I feel like as fans, we see the major league, we see the guys on the big league roster. We don't see the grind, the hustle, the tears that get you from point A to point B, which is the majors. Um, and I think, what is it, 11%, 10% make it? Um, yep, it's about 10%. And uh, really, I mean, it's it's disappointing. As a person mm -hmm. who loves baseball, like I live and breathe baseball. I grew up my whole life wanting to be a baseball player and I get to do it, right? I'm like the luckiest guy in the world. But the fact that baseball can't treat its players like human beings is disappointing for somebody who loves the game because mm -hmm. I want to love the game for everything the game is. But right now, as I see firsthand players who are skipping meals, who are working like overnight shifts in the off season, who literally have to quit baseball, who have to give up on their dream because they can't afford to put food on the table for their family. Like that's wrong. Yeah. That's wrong. If you have ever been to a baseball game, if mm -hmm. you've never watched baseball, it's wrong to treat a human being like that. But if you watch baseball and you love baseball, you should be outraged. You should be pissed off. You should be angry because it's, it's taking something beautiful, something really, really beautiful, like the game of baseball and just spitting on it, kicking dirt on it. I mean, it's like you, if, if, if you want baseball to be a, the, sport that it can be a sport that people love people enjoy people want to celebrate as a game you have to pay your workers fairly and that's true in any in any industry right like in in acting in music like pay artists fairly pay pay your workers fairly but like in minor league baseball to me as a ball player and to any fan it should just be disappointing it should be really disappointing yeah, no, for sure. And uh, like I said, like that's what this podcast that I have, I pretty much only talk to minor leaguers. Um, eventually, there'll be big leaguers and I'll, I'll, I'll have them on again. Um, but like, I like to be able to I, I'm on Twitter, my bio, like minor league hype, man. I like to hype up these guys, um, whether they make it, whether they don't, whether they were high draft picks, whether they were signed um, as an undrafted uh, uh, free agent. Um, I, I have them on my podcast. I can't I hype them up. I, I'll message them whenever they have a good game. Um, because I feel like so many of them are going through this um, and like it, without having that support, uh, which I love about uh, more than baseball, um, minor league advocates, um, adopt a minor leaguer. Now there are all the a couple of organizations kind of highlighting the need to not only like support them financially, but sometimes almost like mentally or emotionally just kind of be there, uh, a friend, be a supportive person for them. Um, because there are guys who leave their home states, you know, they're playing in a different city, small towns, Beloit, Wisconsin, you know, um, and they don't try have... being a, try being a, 
I mean, it's it's hard for sure for a yeah. ball player, even in my position, right? I'm away from home. I'm I'm you know in a new place, but try being a ball player who doesn't speak the language, right? Try being a ball player who's never been in the United States before. Try being a ball player who you know is stuck in the middle of Kentucky, <laughs> where nobody in the entire yeah. town speaks Spanish. And you're trying to go get groceries from the grocery store. You're trying to go order pizza. You're trying to go get a, you know, a, a meal at a restaurant, right? Like a lot of what gets talked about in baseball is the experience of, you know, a white American ball player. 50% of the minor leagues are not that. Um, you're dealing with, you know, players from all over the world, you know, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Colombia, Mexico. Um, players, you know, we work with uh, one of our, ambassadors in more than baseball he's an italian ball player right he came to the u.s for the first time from italy um like the baseball experience is it's a multifaceted one and for players coming from those backgrounds it can be even like doubly or triply as challenging and you're still getting paid a poverty level wage right there's no like you're there's no respite from the challenges um and so yeah you, you know the three four hours that you're on the baseball field are often the break from the stresses of life as mm -hmm. a minor leaguer. Yeah. So speaking of these random cities, like is there a town that you've gone to where you get off the bus, if the bus doesn't break down and you look around, you're like, where am I? Like I'm in the middle of nowhere. Um, there was a team in the Penn league in Mahoning Valley, Ohio. And the ballpark is in, <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a, at that point, the Indians the guardians low a or short season a affiliate. The ballpark's in the back corner of a mall parking lot. It's literally like you have a mall and in the back corner of the mall, like backed up against the little woods at the back of the mall, there's a baseball park. <laughs> it was a great stadium, yeah. but it was like, where the hell am I? Yeah. Um, there, you know, you had, we were staying at that road trip. We were staying in a days in and like some, I don't even know, Mentor, Ohio, I think is the closest town. We're staying at days in uh, the heat or the air conditioning broke while we were there. So it was like 95 degrees in the hotel. Jeez. And like, we're playing in a mall parking lot. And yeah. it's like, what the hell, man? Yeah. I love I love hearing these stories because they ask us yeah. and I get the Beloit, Wisconsin is the one I get a lot on. And like ever since yeah, they Beloit's got a, a tough place. <laughs> did you ever play there? Like before they got the new I stadium? I never did. Okay. I was in Bowling Green in oh. 2018 uh, when they were still in the Midwest League. Um, but I was only there for six weeks and okay. we played pretty much exclusively in Michigan when I was there. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I've, I've talked to guys and like, now that they've had a new stadium, like I went there just, uh, two weeks ago. It's beautiful. Like they don't get a ton of yeah. fans. Like it's kind of bare there, but the stadium was really nice previously. Yeah. Like in minor league baseball, I was like, if you guys don't get a new stadium, we're taking so this team from in high you. school in high school. I pitched on that field. Um, and actually, that's the closest I've ever been to throwing a no-hitter was on that field. Nice. I threw a seven-inning one-hitter, and the hit I gave up in the first inning bounced off my shortstop's glove. Um, so that's my memory of the boy, the old boy field. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever, ever had any um, interesting fan interactions? Um, another – I love asking this question because I've, I've had guys ask me, like – I tell me I've had kids ask me to sign their foreheads or I've had – uh, guys, guys meet me on the bus and ask me to sign their autograph and they have no idea who I even am. You know, like, do you have any interesting, yeah, like, I, mean, I get that all the time, right? <laughs> like, they'll be like, Oh, can I get your autograph? Yeah. I'm like, who's my name? What's my name? And they're like, uh, uh, you know, um, there's definitely, I mean, it, it's one of the best parts 
it's about being a ball player is some of the interactions with fans. Um, kids are the, I mean, it's, it's fun to have kids at games. It's really fun to watch. You know, cause I was, I was, you know, I went to a couple Absolutely. of boy games. Yeah, for sure. Kid, right. I went to Mallard's games when I was a kid. And like, those are college guys that I was like, this is, you know, these are my heroes. Um, so yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, love getting those interactions specific interactions i you know there's i remember there's a kid in last summer when i was in tennessee um we're playing the smokies and there's this kid with a bright red mullet uh like yelling out down into the bullpen at us um oh no we were in birmingham we were in tennessee i don't know something like that it was either in tennessee or birmingham and this kid is yelling down and he's got this big old red mullet and a big, like a thick Southern draw. And he's like, you know, somebody was asking him on our team, like, Oh, what's your name? And he's like, they call me the red waterfall. <laughs> Cause it was like bright red. Yeah. Mullet down the uh -huh. back of his head. And he's anyway, we threw that kid a ball. He was yeah. hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, the, if, if this, if a kid at minor league baseball or a parent uh, of a kid who's at a minor league baseball game is listening to this podcast, Tell your kid to stop asking for a baseball for the, <laughs> like for the sake of every other yeah. minor league baseball player, stop asking for baseballs. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I've had, um, I was talking to Zach Britton who's drafted, um, by the blue Jays. He's, he's told me that he gets so many messages asking for bats and he's like, dude, I, I don't have that many bats <laughs> to give away. I, I can't just give out yeah. all my bats. Well, that's, that's the other thing is like, you know, people will ask, you know, let me get your glove. Like, I'm sure you get a thousand gloves. Like, no, dude, I get a glove every two years. Mm -hmm. And like, if I don't have my glove, I'm spending 350 bucks, which I don't have yeah. on a new glove. Yeah. It's like, can I get your cleats? Like, no, I have four pairs of cleats for the whole season. Like, don't ask me for equipment. I yeah. don't have any to give you. And minor league players pay for their own equipment, right? Like, it's not like we're getting free stuff unless you're a, you know, a prospect or a high round pick. You're not getting free stuff. Um, you're paying for your bats. You're paying for your cleats you're paying for your gloves you're paying for everything you need to play baseball um so it's funny we're weaving together like there's all these great parts about baseball but mm -hmm. right alongside it is this like all the bs yeah. that can happen um as a minor league baseball player yeah so let's talk about then more than baseball like what went into the the idea to start that um and like how has that the process going and is there like have, are you getting like push negative pushback at all um by like being a being a minor leaguer like from the actual organization the rays um like what is that how's that all coming about yeah so i'll start with the the organization sure. um every story that i'm telling you is part of the reason that we started more than baseball right like every kind of bush league crap that a minor league player deals with that's why we started more than baseball is to make sure that that stuff ends and that there's organizations out there and people out there that players can turn to. Um, so more than baseball started, uh, you know, we started talking about it, me and Slade and Jeremy, the two other co-founders in 2018, founded the organization officially in 2019 um, and really tried to build an organization that picks up where teams have failed ballplayers. Um, so teams have failed ballplayers, ballplayers aren't paid enough. Ball players aren't given support off the field. Ball players don't have any options for, you know, if they need to work in the offseason, the team doesn't help with that. If they need to train in the offseason, the team doesn't help with that. If they need, you know, uh, equipment discounts or nutrition or, or, you know, basic support, team doesn't provide that. Um, 
We've provided players with professional development opportunities. We've provided players with financial guidance opportunities. We've provided players with, uh, you know, English classes if they want them. We've provided players with immigration and visa assistance. Um, and we provided during the pandemic, we provided $1.3 million in direct financial assistance mm -hmm. to minor league ball players. So really, I mean, we're, we see ourselves as like the support network that minor league baseball players should already have. Um, and that's part of the reason that we've taken such a strong stance on, uh, you know, the living wage stuff is that it's not our damn job to get minor leaguers the support that they need financially. Teams should be paying players enough for their work, right? It's, it's great that we've been able to treat some of the symptoms of some of the worker mistreatment that happens in minor league baseball, but fundamentally the system needs to change, uh, and teams need to step up and teams need to pay their players a fair wage, a living wage, a wage that allows them to reach their potential as athletes. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we do is sort of like nice NGO work and we're, you know, able to support ballplayers and provide them with assistance. And that's still something that we continue to do. And we will do until, you know, inevitable, like until the system picks up, the stuff that ballplayers need, we're going to continue to support ballplayers in all of those ways. But we're also in a position to push for changes to that system. Um, and that's where the op-ed that I wrote came out of um, in the Washington Post recently. That's where our push for a $35,000 minimum salary for minor league players came out of. Um, all the stuff that we have going on with the living wage, um, the system needs to change. Uh, and in terms of pushback, I've not, I've not received any pushback from uh, the team yet. I'm sure it'll come. Um, I'm ruffling feathers for sure uh, with some of the living wage stuff and some of the sort of the unfair labor practices stuff. But I will say that like 95% of baseball agrees. Uh, there's really not very many people in baseball. I would say more than 95%. Player development staff want players to be paid more. Coaches want players to be paid more. Ball players, both at the major league and minor league level, want players to be paid more. Uh, you know, you have people in the analytics department that realize that players need to be paid more to develop better as baseball players, nutritionists, strength and conditioning staff, like everybody around baseball knows that it's BS that minor league players are paid such low wages. The people writing the checks are the only people that don't want minor league players paid a fair wage. Like that's it. And so those people, we have, you know, say there's, there's 6,000 minor league players. There's probably... 4,000 or 5,000 employees around minor league baseball, around, you know, player development and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you've got 10, 12,000 people versus 30 owners. That's what we're talking about in terms of numbers. And like, I, I maybe I'll get pushback, but, mm -hmm. but I know the pushback is not coming from the people who are my coaches, the people who are my, you know, the people I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's going to come from the owners, mm -hmm. the people in the front office. And that's fine. I'm comfortable with them criticizing me because they're wrong. <laughs> like if that's where the criticism comes from. Great. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, and I know I can delete this also if you don't answer this, but is there ever a fear of like um, the major league club being like, look, like we're not going to advance you too much just based off like all the, the, the feathers that you are ruffling up. They, is that ever a fear like to you? I'm in, a, I, I, I'm in a position in my career where I think I'm a good enough baseball player mm -hmm. to deserve a spot regardless of what I'm saying. 
but also I have a, I'm in a, I'm in a position of privilege compared to a lot of minor league baseball players, right? I have a great college degree. I graduated actually this past off season. I yeah, congrats by the way. Um, thank you. And so I'm in a position where like, I will have job opportunities after my baseball career is over. I will have, um, you know, places that I can turn to that a lot of players don't have. And so, sure, yeah, I'm scared, definitely. I don't want blowback from this stuff. But it's better that that fall on a player like me than a player that doesn't have some of the advantages that I have, right? And so when I'm speaking out, my view is that I'm not, I'm not sharing an experience that's unique to me, right? I'm sharing an experience that every damn player in the minor leagues has experienced. And I'm just in a position where I can share that in a more comfortable way than a lot of players. Cause I, I've said this before on, on, on podcasts and interviews, I have 500, 600 quotes from minor league players who all want to remain anonymous. Right. And they're telling me, you know, I want to speak out on this stuff, but I don't want to lose my opportunity. I don't want to lose my one shot at, you know, a, a major league career. And I frankly can't blame them for that. Yeah. But I will say that if all 600 of them spoke out, <laughs> they're not going to fire all of right, them. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I'm taking a risk for sure speaking out. But my sense and my calculation is that, first of all, enough people agree with me that I'm not really that scared of speaking out. And, and the other side of it, too, is that I'm in a position to speak out. And if I don't do it, somebody else might put themselves at risk in a position where, you know, they're in much more, much higher risk than I am. And so, you know, I want other players to speak out. I want players to use their voices. And every time players have used their voices, there's been significant change in the sport. Um, and, and I'm hoping over the next few months that that will continue to change, right? Players will continue to use their voices. We'll work together as a collective group of ball players to make change happen in the minor leagues. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully my words are a catalyst for others. Yeah, you make and you make some great points. Obviously, um, the fear of speaking out um, without wanting to risk um, potentially their career. Um, I was reading some of the comments uh, from your op-ed out of curiosity because I just knew there were going to be some comments that kind of just frustrated me. And I'm sure um, you probably got this as well, or maybe some have told you, um, some have said, um, it's just a game. It's unnecessary, you know, find something productive sure. or suck it up. Or, um, a lot of people have jobs that are fun, disgusting, and, um, no possible, uh, uh, no possibility of advancement. Um, is that fair? No. So I'm not saying these to like discourage you, but just to kind of highlight the fact that there's such a need for organizations like more than baseball to educate, not just minor leaguers, but even the fans, who watch yeah. the who watch these guys um, that there is a need and yeah it's just a game but at the same time that gives no right for them so to be first treated. Of all, my response to it's just a game. If you've never played baseball, if you can't hit my fastball, mm -hmm. zip it. Yeah, that's it. If you can hit my fastball, here's my response to you. Uh, baseball is is a sport that brings in enormous amount of money. It's one of the biggest industries. Sports are one of the biggest industries in the United States. It's a almost an $11 billion industry. Teams have minor league baseball teams, not because they bring in money as minor league baseball teams, but because they hold value to the organization. Every single player that makes it to the major leagues out of a farm system is a massive windfall for, a, for an organization. The Rays pay basically no money to their ball players at the major league level and are one of the best teams in baseball every year because they develop good players. That's how economically valuable a farm system and so teams, they 
it's simply like they will have more players in their system because it's an economically valuable thing for them to do. Whether or not players are paid a living wage or not, right? Teams are going to have players in their system because it's valuable to the teams. Branch Rickey, when the minor league system first started in the 60s, the Cardinals under Branch Rickey's leadership bought up 25 minor league teams. No, not 25. That's an exaggeration. But they bought bought up almost a dozen minor league teams, right? They owned owned the contracts to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players before anybody else was doing it, right? Other teams were, you know, they had basically minor leagues were independent. Teams didn't own teams. There was no affiliations. Branch Rickey started a farm system of Cardinals players in the minor leagues. The Cardinals were the best team in baseball for the next 12 years. They won pennant after pennant after pennant after pennant after pennant under that leadership. Their winning percentage over the like the 15 years after that was like 630, 640, right? Like they're winning far more than any other team in baseball. And they're doing that on the back of a farm system. And that tells you a little bit about how, how valuable a farm system is to a major league baseball team. So minor league baseball is not like, it's not some like, they're not, it's not a charity case. They're not just paying players for shits. Minor league baseball players are the top tiny percent of baseball players in the entire world, right? Like these are some of the best athletes you will ever meet, you'll ever see. The quality of baseball at the minor leagues is not that far off from what it is at the major league level. And frankly, like all of these arguments tell me that minor league baseball is an economically valuable thing for major league baseball that they should be investing money into. And so in terms of like, get a real job, like, okay, stop watching baseball. Mm-hmm. Don't consume any baseball. Exactly. Stop supporting major league teams. Like cut down the, the bottom line of a 10, $11 billion industry. If you don't want players to be treated fairly, but frankly, minor league players are getting such a tiny share of the pie as it stands right now that like a marginal increase to a living wage is not going to, it's not going to, it's not even going to, nobody's going to notice it at the major league level. It would cost the average major league team $5 million a year to pay their players a living wage. The San Diego Padres just agreed to this deal with Motorola to put a logo on their jersey for $10 million a year. Okay. So the Padres are still going to make money off this logo deal if they paid their minor leaguers a living wage. And so like, that's the sort of accounting we're talking about here. It's not like we're going to bankrupt major league teams by paying players a living wage. No, no, no. Teams are continuing to make more and more and more and more and more money. Minor league player salaries have not really increased at all since the 70s in terms of real wages. In fact, they've decreased. In the 70s, a player's salary is worth about $20,000 in today's dollars. A minor league player's average salary this year is like around $10,000. So player salaries have decreased over the last 30 years. Baseball has become exponentially more profitable. And yet minor league share of the pie is, has not changed whatsoever. And so it, it's it's simply like a – I want to bash people over the head with all these facts every time they tell me something like that because it's like – and the other, the other side of this too is that a person who loves what they do shouldn't be paid any less than a person who hates what they do. It's not some like contest to see how much you hate your job. It's like if you like your job, you should still get paid fairly for your time. Um, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're, you know, a, a professor at a university who loves research, you should be paid fairly for your research. Whether you're a, you know, you work for a production company or an animator, 
And, you know, there's lots of great stories about the animators union in California demanding better wages. And people are making these same arguments against them. Um, if you're, you know, a, an air traffic controller, right? Like, and you love planes and that's your dream job, you should still get paid fairly. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of these arguments are BS. A lot of them are people not fully understanding the way the system works. Um, but at the end of the day, like minor league baseball is an economically valuable thing for major league baseball. And yet they're still able to pay their players a poverty level wage because of, you know, well, there's a lot of legal exemptions that they have too. We can talk about those, but um, yeah, they're, they've just like conned themselves into a system that allows them to pay their players poverty level wages. Yeah. And it's frustrating to see. Um, and like you said, there's lots of guys who, who give up on their careers um, who could have been, we don't know um, how their how their story would have ended yep. um, because of this whole scenario and situation that's going on. Um, and let's, it's not just players who have given up their careers. Yeah. Um, it's players that don't, they can't afford to train in the off season. Right. We've been posting some quotes on our, on our, uh, on our Instagram and, yeah. and on Twitter over the last few days from players. And one of the common themes that you'll see in these quotes is that players feel like, they're not paid enough right now to maximize their development and their potential as baseball players. And that is just dumb. If you're a major league baseball team, what the hell are you doing? Not paying your players enough to train in the off season. If you want to develop your players better, you should make sure that your players are training so they can develop as professional athletes. It is so stupid to me that a team would decide we're not going to pay our players enough to train in the off season. <laughs> you're going to have a guy working at a planet fitness. He's going to work out at a planet fitness, go throw in a high school gym and go work, 40 hour a week shifts at a warehouse and maybe, you know, get hurt doing manual labor, get hurt in construction work, get hurt doing something else mm -hmm. and not, and not train sufficiently to be a good baseball player. They're leaving a lot on the table uh, in terms of player development by paying players. Yeah. Like uh, I've talked to guys who've salary. been construction over the off season, uh, teachers. I know a couple who do like substitute teachers cause that's um, a good job that they can kind of plug and play kind of thing. Flexible, uh, hours, yeah. flexible hours, um, coaching, um, I know, um, Evan, I mentioned he did like furniture, um, construct furniture building or something along the lines yeah. of that. Um, and it's, they're taking all this time away from training and <laughs> instead of training, they're, they're working these 40, 60 hours a week, just try to make their dreams a reality. Yeah. I mean, my view is no professional athlete should have to have a side hustle to be a professional athlete, period. Yeah. Um, so let's let's end on this. Um, what where do you want to see um, from? I know so almost the middle of the year, like this for through this season. Like, what is your goal for um, yourself, and then uh, for the organization? Yeah, I mean, myself, really, frankly, I want to get healthy. I want to be back on the field. I miss it so much. I really haven't pitched, uh, you know, in, in at a level like Double A. I haven't pitched competitively almost in a year. Um, I went down last summer in June, early June, and didn't get back by the end of the year. I was up and down with various injuries and uh, really starting off the season with an injury was disappointing. So I, I really just want to get back on the field. Um, I'm confident that, you know, whatever, whenever I'm back on the field, I'll, you know, have a good season. But to me that even the performance, like it will come, but I just want to be back on the field and healthy. Um, and I, you know, personally, like, I'm in the Rays organization. So if I'm healthy by September, I'm going to get to pitch in the playoffs and for yeah. whatever level I'm at, because all of our yeah. teams are winning. Um, and the, you know, it, it is minor league playoffs and, and that's a little silly. Actually, 
you know, they might have actually nixed minor league playoffs. That might be one of the changes they made over the last <laughs> couple of years. So I might be talking out, out of my, you know, I might be talking out of thin air because I might not actually get playoffs anymore. Um, they might just like hand you a trophy or a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah, no, that actually pisses me off a lot. I loved winning a championship in 2018. I loved winning. the. We won the Fall League championship in 2019. Something I look forward to. So if, if they really did do that, that pisses me off. Um, but to, to be determined, uh, I, I guess we'll go, find out. I want to go win baseball games. Um, I want to go, you know, pitch in a competitive environment. I want to go pitch under the lights again. Um, so that's my goal for me. Uh, for the organization, um, I want to see changes in minor league baseball. And I want to see them now. Um, I want to see players be paid fair wages. I want to see changes to the contract system. I want to see players organizing as ball players around these issues and like really beginning to speak out on stuff. Like I'm under a seven year contract. I'm going to be under contracts. I'm 28 years old as a 28 year old. You're basically dead to a front office, right? Like you were, you might as well be 40. Um, and so there's like, there's stuff in minor league baseball that just should not stand and players shouldn't be standing for it. Um, so yeah, I mean, as, as a goal for more than baseball, for sure. I want to continue to see the organization grow. I want to continue to provide high quality support to ball players, and I want to continue to push for changes. As a baseball player, I want to see my fellow players standing up and and starting to speak out on this stuff. Um, it's way past time, and every time guys speak out, every time we work together, things change. Um, the housing stuff. A number of players spoke out about that last year, and guess what? Major League Baseball is providing housing. Yeah, they screwed up the system. It doesn't work as well as we wanted it to, but they still it's still you know it's a, a net positive for my team. Um, nutrition, right? Like the, the A's, when they <laughs> serve their players that crap, guess what happened? They fired the caterer. They spent the money. They paid for a good caterer for the rest of the season, right? Like players speaking out, teams don't want you to do it because it makes them actually have to invest in their minor yeah. league players, but it works. And and we've seen serious changes happen when guys, you know, take a stand and, and work together to, to create change. Yeah, no, I know a couple guys in the uh, the Oakland organization. Um, I've had them on. Um, I, I'm gonna have, and I'm having some on in the future. Uh, but yeah, and like I said, I grew up an A's fan, so just to see that it was like disappointing, not only as like a fan, but as like a human, just seeing yeah. kind of the the things that that was going on over there. Um, but hey, I I want to thank you for coming on. Um, tell us where we can find you um, on social. Your your um, the organization, their socials, and um, uh, yeah, where we can find you. Yeah, first and foremost, um, more than baseball is more than baseball.org uh, at MTB underscore ORG on Twitter and Instagram. Um, maybe we'll have a TikTok presence soon. Just watch out. Um, but I've been trying uh, to crack that. I still haven't been able to. <laughs> um, and I'm at S Rosenblum Larson uh, on Instagram at Simon RL18 on Twitter. Um, just Look up my name. Uh, you'll find me. Um, but yeah, no, super happy to jump on. This is great. It's been a lot of fun, especially a fellow Wisconsinite. Yeah. I mean, transplant, but still, I'm here. <laughs> no, you're here. Yeah. It's like, if you're in Wisconsin, you count, man. We'll count yeah. all the people we can get. So, and, and this off season, we'll have to get together and do something like whether it's, uh, yeah, um, a Mallard's game. I guess it wouldn't be Mallard's in the summer, no. but we'll figure It'll something be- out. You know, you know, we'll, no you can, I, yeah. we'll throw, we'll, we'll throw together. Go throw snowballs. Absolutely. Yeah, do a snowball fight. That'd be that'd be pretty sweet. Um, all right. Hey, well, you have a great rest of your night, and uh, hopefully, um, everything kind of goes smooth with your with your um, injury, and we can get you thrown back again. 
Thank you, man. It's been fun. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.